Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm excited about this. I'm very excited about this. I um, shared Wednesday night with my class, our our growth group, and a lot of things that I'm going to be saying, said then, is going to roll over into this. Just because in my Christian life, there was things that I understood but didn't fully understand. I, I understood the concepts of it, but I didn't fully get it. And, and that sounds bad for a pastor saying, you should get it if you're a pastor. I mean, believe it or not, I'm human like everybody else. And there's just some things that I says, I, I, I understand that. But I, I mean, like the, the grace of God, it's, it, it baffles my mind. I don't think any of us can fully wrap our minds around it because he gave me something I didn't deserve. And there's a number of things in the Christian life that I think at certain aspects of our life that God pulls the curtain back and allows us to get it more than we got it before. And I pray that this is one of those things. This is the beginning of a new series that I'll be preaching for a while, okay, until uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking all the way up until Easter. And there are a few special Sundays that we're going to have. For instance, one Sunday, I'm not going to do anything and the teens are going to do everything. I can't wait for that Sunday. It's coming up in February. And it's great because we're raising up the next generation. And I love seeing them on the stage and pouring their hearts into us and seeing God work through them. So that's coming up. But today's message will set the stage for this series. So some of it is somewhat of a teaser for where we're going with this. And so many of the passages and thoughts of today, I'll have to finish next week. So I'm just kind of like bringing out pieces of the puzzle. And then I'll put some of them in the place. And some of them I'm going to go over verses and then say, we, we started this last week, but let's finish that thought. And so that's going to happen today. But we're going to deal with some deep, important issues, some teachings, some things that I think all of us struggle when it comes to the book of Acts. Some of the things that come to our Christian life. So Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he wrote the book of Luke, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then he figured, he finished out with the book of Acts. So you could almost say that the book of Acts is Luke chapter or part two, in a sense, as it just continues out this theme of what he's talking about. And Acts was the Acts of the Apostle, but to be honest, that's not necessarily true. Maybe we look at it wrong. Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, through the apostles. Because at the beginning of Acts, we come into a powerful force that is the Holy Spirit. And with that said, I mean, I'm going to ask us, even as Christians, and most of us have grown up as Baptists, do we fully understand the Spirit of God? Because it's one of those topics that we get into, and all of a sudden, we, we almost back away with and saying, wow, you, you, you sound like some other people that we know, and that sounds a little crazy, and that sounds, and, and, and where are you going with this? Guys, don't be afraid if it's in the Bible to go there. And I think we rob ourselves sometimes of the working of the Spirit of God because we're afraid of what people will think or what other people are doing with it or how they're misinterpreting it or teaching it. But I ask you as Christians to think about this. What is the filling of the Spirit of God? Because it's in the Bible. What is it when God says, I'll pour out my Spirit upon them? What is that and what does it look like? What is the anointing of God? What does it mean to have a touch of God? Well, let me throw out a term that maybe we throw out too often is revival. And what is that? What what does revival look like? If we even had it, what would it look like? And I'll be honest, I believe it would look a lot different than what a lot of us think that it looks like. And I, I think by studying Acts, we honestly see it. 
What is the fire in the Bible when it talks about fire? What is the fire in the Bible? And we see in Acts, prayer, fasting, supplication, conviction, passion, commitment, sacrifice, and spiritual breakthroughs. Spiritual breakthroughs. You ever hit a wall? In your spiritual walk or something that God leads you to, the disciples did. They try to cast out these evil spirits that were in somebody and they got up against that and they went to God and they said, we we can't pull this off. And God says, that can't be done without a higher power. And he literally references it without prayer and fasting. He said, dude, you can't do that in your own ability. There's a lot of things that every one of us in this building and outside of here are, are coming up, spiritual walls. And we're sitting there saying, God, I don't understand. You made promises in your word that, that I would have a power, there'd be ability to overcome these. Now, now, they look different for all of us. Some of it is oppression and depression that, that just seems in, in those issues that are all over us. Some of them, honestly, are, are marriage issues that are so deep that all of a sudden God explains marriage and how good it is, but some people are living with marriages that you come up against this word of God telling us how good it is, and you're saying, man, it's not good. And I have tried everything to get through that wall. Reaching that lost child. Reaching loved ones. Seeing God just work in such a way that we're not just going through the motions. But something happened in the middle of that service where all of a sudden God had his people sit down and he stepped up. And he took over. And what came out of that meeting was all God and not man. Say that sounds weird. No, actually, the Spirit of God is the presence of God all around us. There's these breakthroughs that we need, and I'm talking spiritual breakthroughs, spiritual battles. I need to take you back just a little bit. After the death of Christ, the disciples were in fear. Peter denied Jesus during this time. There was a lot of spiritual warfare going on. Judas goes and hangs himself. I mean, I mean, it's a dark time. The sky went dark. Jesus cried out. His, his bloody body laid on the cross. They took it down. They, they wrapped him up. They stuck him in a grave. Guys, we look at all this and say, wow, the power of the cross. They were looking at it. Oh my goodness, what just happened? The one that claimed to be the son of God is a bloody mutilated mess. We're burying him. We, we see his lifeless body laying there. They buried him in the grave. Three days later, he came out. You don't have to turn there, but let me just set the stage. Matthew 28, verse 12. This is what happened. You've got to understand the spiritual breakthrough that they're about to have. And when they were assembled with the elders, this is the Roman soldiers that saw Jesus come out of the grave or, or saw the angel come down and, and, and they all passed out in fear. When they had taken counsel, they, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while, while we slept. In that moment, you understand, this is spiritual warfare. They said, we're going to go after the disciples. We'll set them out as a bunch of crooks. We'll make it look like they stole the body. Here they are. They're just serving God. They're just trying to do what's right. Great things are happening. You know what? The devil steps in and says, I'll make you all look like a bunch of weirdos. I'll make it look like you stole the body. They start noising this abroad. They start making a big deal out of this. And all of a sudden, the disciples are running for their lives. 
They just killed their leader. And now all of a sudden, people are paid to lie. The devil is very evil in all that he does. He doesn't care about you or your family. He will lie to get his way. Jesus shows himself after this various ways for 40 days. After he arose, the last meeting is when Jesus ascended up into heaven. We find that in the beginning of Acts. We're not going there right now. We will come back to it. I need to prove a point. This is an overview. This will be the beginning of this. will just be a teaser of where we're going through this series. See, Acts chapter 2 starts with what we would call a revival. Okay, We would call Acts chapter 2 a revival. In the midst of the accusations, in the midst of the lies, in the midst of them trying to find the body of Jesus, in the midst of them trying to blame the disciples for taking the body of Jesus, there's a lot of tension going on. I mean, you can imagine if that was us, we would not just be walking through the streets going, hey, Jesus is alive, everybody. They'd be like, whoa, wait a minute, we need to talk to you. Are you one of the thieves? Are you part of this conspiracy? You're the one, we, we crucified your master. Do we need to crucify you? I mean, that's the tension going on. You need to understand in the middle of Acts chapter 2, they are hunted outlaws. And yet revival breaks out. A revolution, thousands of people being saved. Take your Bible and just go with a, on a spiritual journey with me, okay? I, I want to show you this. So he's preaching on the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. And they gladly received his word and were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And verse 43 says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now that word fear means a great awe fell upon them. Do you get that? A great awe fell upon them. How in the world did that happen? He said, well, uh, did you not just read he preached the gospel and a great off? I mean, that sounds good, but Jesus had been preaching the gospel all that time. Doing many signs and wonders and raising the dead. What did they do at the end of that? They cried out, screaming their guts out, crucify him, crucify You understand, this isn't a bunch of church people saying, wow, what a blessing, that message was good. I think I'll get saved today. You understand that the concept of what's going on with there is he's coming before a group of people that wanted Jesus dead. He's not talking about the ones that already believed and were following Jesus Christ. This was great opposition that came screaming, crucifying. They mocked Jesus while he was on the cross. They spit on him. Where were their minds? You say, the world around us, how do we get through to a bunch of people in this world that doesn't, you sit there and say, man, I'll tell you, I've witnessed so-and-so a thousand times, and I've done this, and I, I, I've gotten up and preached in service before, and not one person was saved, and not one this, one that. And, and I sit there and say, I've been there many, many times myself. What made this different? You say, well, God had a supernatural thing going on. There was something, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. But How? What happened? See, the Spirit of God showed up. The Spirit of God was working through the crowd, 
And he began to break hearts. You can imagine standing there in that situation, in that atmosphere. And all of a sudden, as Peter's preaching, this hard-hearted guy that was like, you guys are drunk with new wine. Read the beginning. You guys are weirdos. Oh, here we go. That's the ones where they've been hiding all this time. They want you dead. And all of a sudden, as he's standing there and squirming, he he begins to listen a little bit, and tears begin to come down his throat, down his mind, and in his heart, it's begin to change, and the inside begin to yearn. And all of a sudden, he's looking up and he's saying, "What must I do to have Jesus?" Say, how does that happen? How do you go in the atmosphere of a service like that that something breaks through and everything changes? This is not emotional hype, and it's not gimmicks, and it's not somebody up there singing, saying, we're going to sing one more verse, and you're going to die and go to hell. One more verse, one more verse. No, they were crying out, what must I do to be saved? See, when God is in something, you don't have to be doing the work. You're a vessel that God is just working through you. It's not about you. Say, I want that. Oh, I, I, I want that too. Man, it just it doesn't just happen because we say that I want it. Flip a page or two to Acts chapter 4. Verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached uh, through Jesus Christ the res- resurrection of the dead. They were like, oh, what is, oh, okay, here they go. We found them. Bring in the guys. We're going to shut them down. You're not doing this. Guys, sometimes we get all excited. Man, God's working. God's working. I promise you, anytime God's working, Satan will step into work too. Sometimes we sit there and say, man, things are just terrible today. Man, opposition's crazy. Man, they're talking this on the news, and I watch this on the news, and man, it's just not like it used to be. And, you know, it was bad. Okay, can we get that? It was really bad. And they laid hands on them. This, is, this wasn't just a, hey, buddy, can we talk for a minute? This thing you're doing is not good. They, they, and, but they held them to the next day, for it was now evening time. They were arrested, restricted, shut down. You're not doing this. And a lot of times when we face stuff like this, we're ready to say, guys, it's just the end times, and we just need to back up and understand that this is just the way that it is. See, God didn't stop just because there was resistance and opposition. Verse 4, we keep reading. Verse 4, how be it? Just stop with that word. It means, however, in spite of everything that just happened, many of them which heard the word believed. In spite of everything that Satan tried to do, in spite of them shutting down the gospel, in spite of them telling them not to preach, in spite of everything that happened, Satan still lost. How be it, many of them that heard the word believed, and a number of them that was saved was five. Oh, 5,000. So, wow, 5,000 people. After they drugged the preacher off and arrested him, most of that happened. If they had preachers coming up and I was arrested, the rest of you'd be, you know, I'm not saying us. I'm just saying in general, people would be like, okay, time to go to lunch. You know, like, look the other way. We wouldn't be standing up saying, no, I want what he just said. So what is going on? What in the world? 
Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Keep, let, let's just keep going. There's a fire spreading, okay? There's a power going through here. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. And the believers, the more were added to the Lord in multitudes, both men and women. You see what happened is from 5.14 to chapter 6, verse 7, we go from adding to multiplying the church. If you were here last Sunday night, we talked about this. In chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Fire was spreading. It's kind of like this. If you have a fire, and people come up and say, we need to put out that fire, and they kick the fire, you know what they do? They just spread the fire. You just, you can't, you can't mess with fire that way. I'm sorry to tell you, devil. If there's a fire going on in the church, and the world tries to kick it, all you're going to do is spread it. You can't just kick a fire out. I'll tell you, I'd love to throw in another verse while we're talking about this. You can't kick the fire out, but I'll tell you what can happen is you can put the fire out because the Bible says quench not the Holy Spirit. You know what the word quench means? To extinguish a flame. We're not, we'll get into all that. Here, here, all this is going on, and by chapter 17, verse 6, it says these. They look back at, over those 17 chapters and says these that have turned the world upside down are come. They had a reputation of what was going on. Can you imagine seeing this in our world today, what was going on? And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, Acts was a transitional book. It was, there was a different dispensation that was going on during that time. I'm not trying to go back and live with that. I'm going to tell you guys right now, we're different for the fact that we already have the Spirit of God. If you are saved today, you have the Spirit of God. We're not sitting there waiting for Him to come. When you got saved, He did come into your life and changed you. It's not, and if you don't understand that, I'd love to explain that more after the service. But it's a matter of this, that when you got saved, the thing that made you from death to life was the Spirit of God living inside of you. So go back to the beginning. And I want to teach you a principle through this. See, we find a promise given to them at the very beginning. I'm, I'm going to show you a promise what do you do with a promise? God, God lays before them. He, he, he's there. He gathered the disciples on day 40. He's ascending up into heaven. He stands before them and he made them a promise. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We find the promise of power. At this point in time, they didn't understand what God was saying. God was on a mission to send them out and do all these things. And here's the crazy thing about it is, and I just want you guys to think about, God was teaching them a, a lesson. God was preparing them for something. Day 40, the Bible talks about 40 days that he did this. Pentecost is day 50. 40 days, 50 days. Do the math. 10 days. He made them wait. Ten days. Could Jesus not have said, and I give you the Holy Spirit? Pow. And then it's like, whoa, okay. And then he goes up into heaven. Jesus could have done that, but Jesus did not do that. Ten days. So, wow, what happened? We're talking about a power, the dunamis power. That word in the Greek is talking about power to give life to that which is dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave. That's what we're talking about. 
Jesus promised the Spirit of God and all these things are happening. Ten days without Jesus. Ten days without the Holy Spirit. Ten days without the power of the fire that he promised. And I ask you guys, everything that we studied and all that, and I could have gone in Acts and did that more and more. Watch the fire, watch the fire, watch the fire, watch the fire. But I turn back and say, how did it start? Go back to the beginning. What did they do? Where did it come from? Verse 13. Notice what they did while they were waiting. And I'll tell you, we're going to go back and pick this apart over the next couple of weeks again. And, and when they were come in, they went into an upper room and they abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. They prayed, and that's so cliche, so, so talked about. I need to make a comment. I need you to wait for me to explain it before you judge me. I don't believe that revival starts with prayer. I think there's something before it. Because it's not a matter of us not praying. It's not a matter of us not knowing that it's only God that can do it. And I think we throw that out, just pray, just pray, just pray, just pray. And what I find is before the Spirit of God came and filled them, before revival came out, before all these things had happened, the Bible gives us a few words that I think we need to understand and dive into that happened here. It says in verse 14, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. We overlook the word continued. The word continued means to earnest towards, to persevere, to constantly be diligent, to attend passionately, and to exercise all that you know, to adhere closely to. It, 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 is, it is explaining the prayer. It is explaining the supplication. It is pray, explaining the filling of the God. Right here it says, let me tell you the attitude and the atmosphere of the disciples. If you could see their hearts here, they were craving for what God promised them. There was a desire. There was seeking. They desired what God promised them. Do you understand the Bible is filled with illustrations of this? In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. He said, Call unto me. I don't have time to go into those words when he talks about calling unto me. Dear any Father, give us revival. Bless this day. Bless our food. Amen. Let's eat, buddy. See, when we pray, we, we, we've got a really twisted perspective of what it means just to pray. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will hear their land. That's how we interpret the verse. But let me show you something that the Bible says and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Sit there and say, to seek God, to seek God. I've heard that my whole life. What, is, what are we missing? Because we know to pray. Let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Prayer is so talked about, but desire is missing. See, in order for there to be spiritual fire, there must first be desire. 
We can say there can be prayer, but this is so true. But if you don't desire prayer, there will be no prayer. We can say it takes prayer, but I'll tell you, unless you're wanting to do it, it won't happen. I'm not saying that we're sitting there saying, oh, there's a concept. We need prayer more. No, it's a matter of why aren't we doing it. It's not a matter of us not knowing this. When you realize that we are broken, when you realize that we're in great need, when you're realizing that we're up against the wall and we back up and just say, well, we can't do it. And we step back and say, God, but I want to go through. I need the other side. I want my kids saved. I want revival. I want that. You'll approach God a whole lot differently than when you just walk away saying, well, it just didn't work. I think that's where we're at. We're waving the white flag way too often because of the fact is that Satan is working overdrive in 2020 to do more than he's ever done before. And at the beginning of this passage, we love to read, if my people which are called by my name, do you understand verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 7 says this, if I shut up heaven and there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people. Do you know what the condition is of when he was explaining for them to cry out and desire the things of God? Do you know what we find in the middle of that? Is the fact that they saw that there was great need that only God could fix. There was a desire there. See, we seek after God. Let me explain this because I think we just say things like this. True desire is a pursuit. True desire is a pursuit. See, it's a mindset. It's a desire that gets in your head. It's conviction in your mind saying that the the word of God in a message saying, you know what, I want God. I want God. It's like when you see like a, a, a car that is on TV or something that captures the desire of your heart. You work, you save, you sacrifice, you go after, you research, you do whatever. You know what all started? It started in your head. You got it. Wait a minute, the disciples, after all that time, they got it. He was the son of God. He promised me more. Let's go. There was a desire that started in their minds. Guys, I, I shared with this Wednesday night with our, with our team, with our group. We say the phrase all the time. I really need to lose weight. I mean, I, I've been around people, you know, usually it's after we're eating a big meal and we, we finish, you know, and you're like, Man, I really need to lose, I need to lose some weight. We'll, we'll be in a group and everybody will be talking about dieting and saying, you know what? I need to lose some weight. We, we say that all the time. You say, what is the difference between saying it and doing it? Something has to click in your mind to make you pursue it. See, it's not just an acknowledging that it's there. It's a change or setting your affections or your desire. And you begin to set your mind that I've got to change my habits. I've got to get up earlier. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to change my life. It's just not a matter of saying it. It's action that goes through what you're thinking. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. The Greek is talking about continuous action. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Ask and keep on asking. My kids, when they truly want something, they were younger. They had no problem bugging me with it. Because they couldn't get it out of their head. Now do we have enough money? Did we save enough money? You said if we got this, you said to wait a little bit. Is four hours waiting a little bit? It was on their heart and mind. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. It's a pursuit. You see, true desire is a pursuit. It's a mindset. 
But true desire is also in action. Jesus spoke of this time. He explained the upper room. He was actually explaining what was going to happen. The disciples came uh, before the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were judging them, saying, shouldn't they be prayer and fasting? And you say, why wasn't the disciples praying and fasting when Jesus was with them? Can I explain to you why they weren't? Because they already had the presence of God. They were eating with Jesus and fellowshipping with Jesus and being powered with Jesus and all this. And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then shall they fast. Why fasting? Now I know I'm getting into a bunch of things and you're saying, wow, you're, but I'm going to tell you that all this is connected. Everything that I'm t- connecting together, it, it all makes sense. And sometimes the, 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 with the things that I'm about to say, you're going to have to come back weak for me to actually put in the pieces and you go, oh my goodness, okay, now I get it. But let me just lay some groundwork. You say, why is it doing this? It's another thing that we don't fully understand. And I shared this with my Wednesday night group, and this is going to somewhat be repetitious for them, but something that I have struggled with my whole life is totally understanding the concept of fasting. When the Bible says they continued steadfastly in prayer and supplication, that whole description is talking about the practice of what we're talking about here. And it's followed out in other parts of the book of Acts. See, God has always given us things to help us understand. If we take communion, it's a matter of a practice or something I can tangibly do to help me understand. Stop. Remember. Blood of Jesus Christ, body of Jesus Christ, do this so you can remember what he did for you. God says, I know people. I know that you're going to have to put practices into your life to help you accomplish spiritual things. The same thing that he does with baptism. You go into the water. I am testifying that I believe that Jesus Christ died and I was buried and I'm rose again and I'm walking in newness of life the way that Jesus did. And we all sit there and see it. It's a practice. The cross is a tool for us to understand that the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Fasting goes along with the same thing that God says, I'm going I'm to give you a tool that's going to help you with your life. And you're saying, what do you mean? And you're getting way off track. I, I'm not getting off track at all. See, fasting is the same thing. The biggest thing that stands in the way between me seeking God and my desire for God is me. You say, if God's promised revival and if God's promised all these things, why don't we have it? I give you the answer, it's me. If we're all honest, we would be standing up and saying the same thing. I'm not going to do this right now because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if we were to say how many of us said we're going to read our Bibles every day this year and we've already stopped, I asked you what got in the way. If we were to say that I'm going to start this and start that and everything that I say that I'm going to do, I'm going to finish this book about God this week. I'm going to pray more than I did. I'm going to start my morning off with prayer. I'm going to turn the radio off. All of a sudden, two, three weeks into it, I'm right back to where I was. I'm the problem. Seek after God. Know, ask, knock, and it shall be open to you. And along the way, just being honest, this is us as Christians. Dear God, we want it. Lord, give us revival. Oh, did you see this video? 
oh my goodness, this is so cool. Our minds are boom. I think that's why Revelation said about our day and age, you've become increased with goods and have need of nothing. And he said, you know what you need? You need your eyes fixed. So you need your eyes fixed. He said, I wish I could put that, uh, that medicine on your eyes so that you could see what's the wrong. You, you could see what you're missing. Because all of a sudden we're pursuing the power of God and we come up against that wall and we're just like, God, where are you? It's us. You know what's cool is God already knew what we would be facing and where we would be at. Richard, take note, I'm not finishing all my points. Because I need to stop right here or actually go into this right here. I did this Wednesday night, and I need you guys to get this with me. Fasting is usually identified with food. There's a McDonald's bag. America identifies that with food, so I'm safe with this illustration. Maybe we need to put some things on our level to help us understand. See, food is a desire. When I'm hungry and I have a craving, get out of my way or get ran over. I will go through a drive-thru. I will call Uber Eats. One night, me and Jenny, we're at our house, and, and, and this is just part of it. This is our American mindset. I'm hungry. I want ice cream. And Jenny says, Dairy Queen is right down the road. I get in there, and I'm thinking, they're going to be closed. They're going to be closed. And sure enough, as I pulled in there, turned right past when they were done, I literally drove around the thing and knocked on the window. I know this is bad. You say you're such a pig. I wanted ice cream. It was already in my head. And they would not come to the window. So I found a rock. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I leave there. I call Jenny. They're closed. And she said, what are we going to do? I said, I will find ice cream. I go into like a 7-Eleven, little gas station around the thing. And I'm digging through their freezers. Don't you guys sell ice cream? And I remember I was getting these little fudge bars and going back and just eating them like starved people or whatever. And you say, why did you do that? It got in my head. I had to have it. God says, I understand the idea of how I made you in your, your love and your desire that you can have for food. I get that. It's in us. Food addresses our attention because we can't focus when we're hungry. We'll even tell people, I can't think right now, I haven't eaten. Man, you, we'll, we'll be sitting on, on the couch watching TV and all of a sudden commercial will come on about something and all of a sudden, doesn't that sound good? We need to do that. What are we doing Friday night? Let's go there. It captures your attention. It goes right to your brain and all of a sudden, everything in your mind begins to go in that motion to get your attention on that. Sometimes if I have staff meetings, I know the best thing that I can do for the furtherance of the gospel and the protection of the church is stop and let the guys eat or things are going to fall apart real fast. It captures our attention. Food brings us in fellowship. It brings unity. It's not, guys, I'm going to unveil something to you that you think is a, a, a Baptist thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It's a universal thing. When we say Baptists love to eat, no, people love to eat. We'll sit together and we'll get together as believers and all of a sudden, come over my house and let's just pray. 
No, but it's come over my house and we'll have dinner. Come over my house and we'll have ice cream. Come over my house and we'll have pie. Come over my house. It's one of those things that we, we, we do. We, it, it brings us down. And I think even in the tabernacle and even with the Last Supper, you know what he did? Set eat. I want this. And I preached on this a few weeks ago. In the tabernacle, they had the table of showbread. Sit or stand there and eat. God created food for fellowship. Did you notice when I read in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that they continued in fellowship and breaking of bread, going house to house? See, all these things that we see, what's going on, because it brings satisfaction. It brings this incredible thing that after you're done, you're saying, man, that was so good. And now I can think, and it meets a need inside of your life. And the result of that is food brings strength that makes us strong. It gives us what we need. And God said, man, I know your problem. I know America's problem. I know Christians' problems. Philippians 3.19, whose end is destructions, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Guys, if there's a thing that is true about us, we, we are a nation that loves food. We're a nation that drives drive-thrus and Uber Eats and, and, and fast food restaurants and all the things that we have all the way around us. That God says, I know what you love to please. You please your belly and you sacrifice for it. But what if we switch things? And God said, wait a minute. You get that. Put me there. I need to teach you a lesson. I, if, if you truly want me and your body's not going to react and it's going to get lazy and it's going to get distracted really easy. And says, can, can you take that out of the way and put me there? And all of a sudden, God's, can you shift all of that to me? Lord, I need you. Oh, I want you. And something happens when we start denying our flesh because it is our flesh that gets in the way. And God says, and we need to deal with your flesh. Do you hear that? God says, we need to deal with your flesh. My spirit indeed is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Guys, you know what's holding us back from revival and an outbreak of the fire of God and everything that you want? It's right here. And so God says, I'm going to give you something. Hmm, I've got, I'll tell you what, I'm going to introduce a concept to you. It's called fast. We have this idea, I give up a meal. And all of a sudden, God says, answer prayer. You know, I give up Taco Bell. And God says, answer prayer. You know, it's like this weird thing in our mind that doesn't make sense. But God says, no, you've missed it. Take that out of the way and make me the desire of your heart. Put your attention on me when you're driving down the road and you're sitting there saying, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. God, I can't get through. I can't break down the walls. I can't change things. God, I need you. Now my affections are set on thee. My desires are set on thee. God takes the attention of our lives and God begins to satisfy us in a way. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. And God made a promise. They shall be filled. God promised that. See, fasting empties us of us. Fasting is our my selfish desires. Fasting is when I want to go after God. And God says, if any man will come after me, he must first deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Fasting brings satisfaction on only a level that you will know if you fast. I'm not going to get into my personal life. 
But I can tell you by testimony, you're going to experience things that only God can do in that moment when your heart is set on you and you sit there and tell your flesh and your body and your mind, no, you're not in control. And there's something I want more. And the only way for some of us to do it is to put our phone aside, to turn off our TV and to say no to food. It's it. And the Bible says the same way that you will get strength God gives us strength. I can't explain it, but let me tell you, what are you doing when you fast? What are you doing? Taking something out of your life. It's less of me. It's saying no to me, but we just mentioned something earlier, and I'm not trying to get into it now because we don't have time, but let me tell you, God can't fill something until it's emptied. You starting to see the connection here? Less of me. It's not about me. I can't do it my affection, my attention, all this. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought fasting was just giving up a meal so that I could have a prayer answer. And God says, no, there's so much more to it. It's a physical practice that I've given you to put your body into subjection, to put your attention on God. 